0: Hello and welcome. Today we are joined by Joe Power of the law firm of Powers Rogers and Smith, a leading plaintiff personal injury firm in the country. Uh, Joe has tried many multimillion dollar verdicts. He graduated from the University of Notre Dame undergrad, the Loyola Law School in Chicago. Well, he's a big supporter of both of his schools that he graduated. He's a former president of the, uh, the Illinois Trial Lawyers, Public Justice, the Celtic Legal Society, the ABODA chapter of Illinois, and currently the president of the Inner Circle of Advocates. We're honored to have you here, Joe, and welcome. Thank you, Brian. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your firm, Joe, how many lawyers you have, what kind of cases you handle?
1: Well, there's 13 lawyers, and we handle all kinds of cases. Uh, Whatever we can get in the courtroom and try a case in front of the jury, we'll, we'll handle. I like to handle all kinds of cases. I've handled railroad crossing cases defamation cases feLA cases malpractice cases product liability cases you name it I've tried it uh, recently I tried a case against uh, actually one of Trump's uh, ambassadors the current ambassador to Belgium where he cheated his lawyers out of over six million dollars and we tried that case uh, and uh, prevailed on appeal as well so the ambassador to Belgium had to pay us over six million bucks to my clients as well. That was a big law for
0: him. I bet he wasn't happy about that.
1: Well, he wasn't happy about it because for some strange reason he had the press going to cover his examination in court and it didn't go too well for him. So, it was headlines about what a cheat he was and a phony and everything else despite that Trump uh, nominated to be ambassador to Belgium and he's our current ambassador. Just like Trump.
0: All right. Let's talk about what is it that made you get into this field of trying lawsuits, (laughs) representing individuals against large corporations?
1: Well, when I was in law school, I got a job working for a prominent uh, plaintiff's lawyer by the name of Jack Hayes. And uh, I enjoyed the work. I loved helping him on cases while I was in law school and spent more time clerking than I did in law school, actually, and probably learned more, too. Uh, but that's what got me going and interested in trying cases in front of juries.
0: What would you say are the most important thing for young lawyers' skills to develop and ways to develop them to be a successful trial lawyer representing people in trials?
1: I think you have to really feel it. You want to represent the little guy, the underdog. You've got to have the courage to take on major corporations will oftentimes think they can somehow bury us especially when you're a young lawyer you know they think if they throw enough lawyers at you and throw enough money and enough people at you they can sort of get you to back down so you have to have the courage to knock back down as a young lawyer you have to not only work hard but you have to go watch some other very good lawyers to pick up some tips we always have to remain true to ourselves and our own personalities but you can always pick up things from watching prominent lawyers in court, reading their depositions, their arguments, just little things here and there that uh, help you become a successful trialer.
0: Is it an easy job?
1: Well, ask my wife. <laughs> she unfortunately, claims I have a mistress, and that's uh, trying cases.
0: So. That's the law. is a mistress of us all. Joe, yeah. let's, let's talk about some of your noteworthy cases. First of all, I want to talk about the $100 million Fuel tank fire case that ended up in the governor of Illinois being indicted. Tell tell us a little bit about that case.
1: Yeah, that was a a case where I got involved. And when we first got involved, the truck driver didn't even get a ticket. And when we filed a lawsuit, they wrote me a long letter saying I'm going to regret suing them because uh, they don't know anything. He didn't do anything wrong. Inadvertently, a piece fell off the back of his truck and ended up. Perforated in the fuel tank of Reverend Willis's car or van, actually, uh, and ended up killing his six children right in front of his eyes. So,
0: and he <coughs> survived. the Reverend the survived.
1: The, the Reverend and his wife did. They were in the front seat, but where our precious cargo was, our children, is where they had the fuel tank and they didn't have any protection over it. It ended up the the object that perforated the fuel tank had, had hit the oil pan before that. The oil pan was twice as thick as the fuel tank, and they couldn't explain why. One of our experts, who used to work for Chrysler, says that's because uh, the engine is an expensive warranty item, so they wanted to make sure that the in- the oil pan was protected, that would protect the engine. They didn't care about the fuel tank, which was right where the kids were. So when the object hit, perforated the Fuel tank and went right through the foreboard wild gas getting inside compartment burned the six children to death. Wow! But, uh, but that was they were part of our case, but that was a small part of it. The uh, the other side didn't know what I was doing because I subpoenaed the records from the Secretary of State. It turned out the truck driver uh, had help taking his exam. It said he had a interpreter working with him to understand his test. And uh, because he apparently didn't speak English. And uh, so that was improper because you're supposed to speak and understand English in order to have your CDL. So that and I embarked on discovery on that issue, later found some whistleblowers all over the country, some of whom used to work for the Secretary of State's office. Turned out that the governor had a, a bribe for CDL scam in which people would pay the, pe- the individuals who were either assisting on the exam or the examiners political contributions that went to the then Secretary of State, later Governor, who then in turn would give them the CDL. So that's how Mr. Guzman got his CDL was by purchasing his uh, CDL because he couldn't speak and understand English. He was dumb as a box of rocks. He could never pass the exam on his own. We proved all that. We proved a joint venture with all these other trucking companies and the brokers and all the other entities. We had about 10 defendants, including Chrysler. But at the end of the day, the defense lawyers didn't know what I was doing. They found out because he was an agent of the joint venture, which included the Burlington Railroad, uh, Hanjin, which was a major Korean shipper. We had all these entities in the case. So we had uh, plenty of people to point the finger at. And Guzman was the agent of the joint venture, and the court determined that in a motion we filed, and so that's why the case settled. I like think it did because they were afraid it would have even been more.
0: And the case settled for a hundred million dollars,
1: it did, yes.
0: Okay, tell us how was it that the governor then eventually was uh, convicted, or there were con- criminal convictions related to this bribery license scheme?
1: Well, what happened is uh, actually, there was a fellow named Tony Berlin who was an examiner. And before the Willises were ever killed, he went because he noticed this bribery uh, scam that was going on. He went to the Feds, went to the FBI, he went to the U.S. Attorney, he went to Secretary of State, the, his boss, he went to the Illinois Attorney General, Cook County State's Attorney. They all turned the blind eye to it. And then the Willis uh, accident occurred, and he sent me. Evidence once he found out what I was doing, my investigation, he supplied me material regarding the corruption scheme. I turned it over to the media because I didn't trust any of the authorities. And then the media, after investigation, I took a number of depositions, got it to the media. Then ABC ran a special on it. So it, it was, it became the biggest political campaign issue of George Ryan when he's running for governor. He barely squeaked through. But then 2020 did a piece on it as well. <clears throat> and they, uh, Brian, I forget Brian's last, Brian Ross, he was the chief investigator. He caught up to Ryan at the National Governors Conference in D.C., embarrassed the hell out of him. And uh, then they put it on national TV. Uh, it was an amazing story. They ended up getting a Peabody for it. But based on the our investigation and cooperation with Tony Blinn, and a number of other people used to work at Secretary of State's office. Uh, there were 74 criminal convictions on, uh, on this for, as a result of this tragedy to the six Willis children.
0: And what happened to the governor?
1: He went to jail for six years.
0: Wow. I guess he's not the governor
1: anymore. No, he's not the He's out of prison now. Wow. He's, not, he's not the
0: governor anymore. No. All right. La- within, I think it was a year ago about you... you tried a case for a gentleman who had both legs, a double amputation occurring in a shipping uh, in a trucking incident. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, that uh, that's uh, Mr. Montagno's uh, tragic story. Truck driver, uh, his truck was loaded improperly. And uh, then when he went to offload it, the fellow at the other place that he was offloading it, uh, didn't wait for him to get out of the way. The you know fifteen hundred pound steel rolled onto his legs. He ended up losing his legs. Almost bled to death before he got to the hospital. And uh, you know they're they're doing well now. We were successful in the lawsuit, and uh, so uh, you know their life is more bearable. He's getting the physical therapy he needs and occupational therapy. And but unfortunately what for him, what were the key the things in
0: that? that- What were the key things in that case that turned the jury in the favor of your client and to return such a substantial verdict? I think it was 96 or 7 million, something like that.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think the Montagnos were great plaintiffs. I think, uh, you know, pointing out the contradictions in what the testimony was of the person who loaded the truck versus the person who unloaded the truck. And the supervisor, the first statement he gave, he had three different, the guy who loaded the truck had three different versions of what occurred, uh, none of which were plausible. So uh, I think credibility, he had he lacked credibility. And the second guy was very, very poorly trained who who dumped the load on my clients. So I think at the end of the day, justice prevailed. They tried to blame the truck driver, but it clearly wasn't his fault. That wasn't his job to load or unload. The truck. Was well, job.
0: I saw you, you talk about this case, and you had some demonstrative animations that helped. It looked, for me, it made it much clearer. Can you explain what you did in this case and how you like to use animations or demonstratives when you're trying cases?
1: Yeah, you know, <clears throat> the defense <clears throat> excuse me, always wants to confuse the jury, to make it just so confusing they can't, can't help the plaintiff. They just have to just throw their hands up and say, I'm sorry, plaintiff didn't prove his case because we don't understand it. So every case I've ever tried since I've been a young lawyer, I load up on demonstrative evidence. I try to make it very simple. So cut through all the baloney, all the contradictions, all the different versions, and put the version that's most plausible based upon uh, physics and expert testimony. That's in a product case, the an antagonist case, for example. So we did it both on the loading, what likely happened, as well as the unloading, what likely happened. It's very simple for the jury. It's like malpractice cases. Most lawyers, I guess they say 70, 80% of malpractice cases are lost by the plaintiff. I've gotten a few hung jurors, three hung juries, and I retried two of them, and I won on retrial, the third one we settled. Every other malpractice case, I won. And a reason for that is I want to make the case so simple that at the end of the day, the jury says, Oh my God, if we know this, how come the doctor didn't? Because if you don't, it's very complex. Medicine is very complex. If you don't make it simple and the jury doesn't understand it, you're going to lose your case. So I've always tried to make a case as simple as possible. I break it down so I can understand it. And believe me, I'm no genius when it comes to medicine. I, I wasn't in. A-plus student in science or biology, but I do it. I work at it. I try to break it down, work with my experts so I can get the monster of evidence to simplify the case so we all understand it, and then you win. If you if the jury doesn't understand your case, you're sunk. You're going to lose. You won't meet your burden of proof. You won't meet your burden of proof.
0: Okay. Also, uh, the advocate health case that you tried, speaking of malpractice, resulted in an excess of $95 million jury verdict, which was the largest medical malpractice verdict in the history of the state of Illinois. Talk to us a little bit about that case.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting case because uh, my client who was Hispanic, she didn't speak English, but she had terrible brain damage as a result of malpractice. I, I think it's important that I try to take all the key depositions by myself. And it started with, I, I was brought into the case by co-counsel to try the case. So I took a nursing supervisor's debt, and basically, I got her to admit liability on the nursing staff. So that was a good start. And then, uh, in terms of the case, we had a lady who was in her mid-50s, and uh, they weren't offering a lot of money in the case at least starting the case then they came up with an offer finally when the jury went out at 10 million dollars which wasn't enough to take care of her but the interesting thing was she seemed like she didn't she had she didn't know what was going on she didn't understand anything she seemed like she was like basically almost unconscious except when the husband would tell a joke in spanish she would understand and she would talk to him and she would laugh and they were trying to say she was in a semi-comatose state, so she couldn't understand her situation, she couldn't feel pain, and so we showed this in the video, and uh, you know it was it was amazing. And so that the defense lawyer's wife was in the back of the courtroom, they said, <clears throat> and the, she said, "Why are they showing that?" And they said, "Well, your husband is claiming that she's not conscious and not aware of her." situation in life and uh, she doesn't know what's going on and so she said well clearly based on the video she does she understands the <laughs> jokes and so this was the defense court's wife so the jury got it too we had a good jury in that case justice prevailed
0: how many jury trials would you say you've had in your career
1: mm, i would probably say around 80
0: of all those cases what's the favorite one that you tried
1: Well, there's no favorite. It's hard because your next case is your favorite. You know, we we all have problems in cases, you know, as the defense does, and you have to overcome whatever your problems are. They usually try to blame the plaintiff. But my favorite thing that ever happened was I was a young lawyer and I was given a railroad crossing case. They offered uh, $75,000 to settle the case. And so uh, I was then a young associate in the firm and, The case had started, it happened, the fellow was killed, uh, Mr. Tonarelli. when I was in high school. So the case passed around from lawyer to lawyer and no one wanted to try the case. So it came to me. So I started working the case up for trial and Jack Hayes, who tried tough cases, he didn't want to try this case. It was a railroad crossing case and there was no uh, trees blocking vision or anything else. It was a tough case. We said they should have had gates up there but they had contributory negligence as a defense. And uh, I tried a case, and I got over a million dollars. on it. We ended up collecting every penny, confirmed on appeal. But after I got done with the argument, before the jury came back, David Tonarelli, his son, was now like 20 years old, he was a little kid when it happened, he was like three when it happened, but it, you know, it was a tough case, I don't want to try it, so I tried it. He said to me, all I want to tell you is I'm proud you're my lawyer." And so that was the best thing that ever happened, because it was before the jury came back, after hearing the argument. I tell you, you know, it, it just chills run up your spine when you hear something like that, especially when you're a young lawyer and someone coming up to you and saying that. I still, to this day, I just, I don't think anybody's ever said that to me before the jury comes back. Everybody's patting on the back when the jury comes But before the jury goes back, you know, it still sticks with me to this day.
0: Okay. You're in Chicago. It's a a very competitive market. There are many other personal injury lawyers that are uh, successful. How is it that you try to market your law firm to stand out and why clients should come to your firm and not others?
1: Well, number one, I try cases. I mean, there's a lot of other lawyers, very good lawyers, who prominent, gotten uh, very good jury verdicts over their career. But that's over their career. Who has tried more cases than me? Six, I mean, seven, eight figure verdicts uh, the last five years than me? No one. No one has gotten more seven or eight figure verdicts in the last five years, ten years, fifteen years, thirty years, forty years than me. No one in the last ten years has recovered more money. For our clients than our firm, we're not that big of a firm. We're thirteen lawyers.
0: Well, how do you keep but track we, of that? How do you How do you know who has the most?
1: Well, we know because there's a publication. And I, in fact, I put one in the mail to you today, the Chicago Lawyer. Every year they do they keep track of the major settlements. It used to be only two million dollars, then they dropped it to a million. Now I think they keep track of everything over five hundred thousand dollars, so that at the end of the year they picked the law firm in Illinois who's got the most recoveries for their clients. And for the last nine years, we've been number one. We've never finished out at the top four in the last 30 years. We've usually been one or two. If we, in the last nine years, we've been number one in recoveries for our clients uh, in personal injury, wrongful death cases.
0: Well, that's fantastic. You're doing some great work for your clients. We're winding down. I want to ask a couple more questions. First of all, being the president of the Inner Circle Advocates, tell some of our listeners what, what what is that organization and what do they strive to do?
1: Well, the Inner Circle of Advocates—it's uh, by invitation only. It's uh, you know they, they like to say the top one hundred tr- plaintiffs trial lawyers in the country, and they certainly are the best of the best. And we tried as Brian Lozier, my vice president, and we try to get the best lawyers in every state to become members. And that's what we want. We want the best lawyers in each state. We strive to do that. And then we share our ideas. We share experts. We share ideas so we can improve the representation of our clients. And one of my most enjoyable things is getting to know Brian over the last 20 plus years and now working with him. uh, And he'll soon be the president in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, Brian will be coronated as the president of the Mm -hmm. inner circle. It's one of the most fun things I've had is working with Brian uh, in the inner circle.
0: The inner circle's got some great people, great sharing. What's the Celtic Legal Society? Well, I think we have a big day coming up.
1: Yeah, the important thing about the Celtic Legal Society is we have a big luncheon uh, every St. Patrick's Day. And the most important function that the president does of that organization is to make sure the beer is nice and cold. So that's that's when it is. That's when the luncheon is. We got the green dye ready for the Chicago River right behind me.
0: All right. Thank you so much for being here today, Joe. It's an honor to interview you and share with our listeners the great successes you have had for your clients and what your firm continues to do. And thanks for all the great things that you guys do.